Daniel chapter 2, believe it or not. So open your Bible there, let's pray, and then we'll talk about it. Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to study your word tonight. It's been an interesting series, Lord, looking at the days of Noah, some of the things that it means, and getting our, uh, our minds readjusted to uh, the way that uh, Jesus' audience would have heard those words. And I pray that as we finish tonight, or at least for this part of it, uh, Lord, that it would be clear and rich and full. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Fallen debuted in 2007 on the ABC Family Network as a miniseries. Anybody familiar with Fallen, the miniseries? Okay. The tagline, 18-year-old Aaron Corbett struggles to come to terms with his newly discovered identity that he's half angel. In fact, they call him Nephilim in the show. Turns out he is the Nephilim savior. What Jesus is to humans, he is to fallen angels. Uh, the show ran its course, but is, now goes on as a video game. And let me emphasize, this was considered a family show. It was geared to youth. It was on the ABC Family Network. Names like Nephilim, The Watchers, and Azazel are prominent in the many current shows and movies that portray the supernatural. If you have an ear for this kind of thing, and if you watch much television or go to the movies, you'll pick up on some of this lore, and uh, it's all very interesting. While Hollywood has discovered these things and is banking on apocalyptic themes in some of the most popular series and films ever, the church is starting to shy away from prophecy altogether. One of the leaders of our own movement not too long ago said the following at a pastor's conference, I quote, he said, I believe in the rapture, I believe in the second coming, but I think all of us should have learned by now that none of us know when that's going to happen. And if we get up every week or if we're constantly bring, banging that drum of, you know, Ezekiel 38 and all that stuff, you're probably indirectly sending a message to the younger generation that there's nothing left for you to do. It's all been done. So just hold on tight till the rapture. And, you know, my experience is that they don't want to hear that. They want to hear that we can do something for God, just like you guys did. Our generation can do something. There's a world to reach. There are people to touch. There are missions to be accomplished. There are churches to be planted. And so I really, you know, kind of challenging you guys, if you're beating the prophecy drum, just tone it down because you just don't know. So the Bible is at least 25% prophecy. Gino told me that Mark Hitchcock, who's a good guy that we like out of Oklahoma, uh, teaches a lot on prophecy. He says it's more like 30%. So any Bible teacher should be talking about prophecy how much? At least 30% of the time if you're teaching through the Scripture. In addition, you need to know the times you are in. So just in any time, in any era, you're going to be talking about prophecy at least 25% of the time, maybe 30% of the time. But depending on the time you're in, you might talk about it more or less. The world right now is extremely interested in future things. This is not the time for the church to abandon prophecy. There's good justification that we ought to talk more about it because the average person is interested in it, even if they don't know it. They're captivated by these television shows and movies, and everybody has their own idea of the apocalypse and what's going to happen in the end of the world. And you and I, we have an exact scenario of what's happening. We can interpret the times for them. Now, before we finish out the days of Noah, and this will be our last study until some new information comes to light, let me say this. 
I found that whenever I bring up things like giants or signs in the heavens, the average Christian immediately gets offended, as if I had just told them there's some other way to God besides Jesus. Uh, it's incredible. Uh, it, there's, a, there's almost a, uh, well, there is, there's a backlash. Talk about the Nephilim even directly from the Bible, and you are labeled by other believers as fringe or conspiratorial. And believe me, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. So, I mean, I don't even want you to Google any of this stuff because there's so many crackpot websites and all that stuff. But it's really hard to even bring these subjects up to Christians. The world is hearing about these things, however, from non-believers. They own that space right now, and they build on truth introducing errors. And so ABC is talking about the Nephilim, the offspring of fallen angels and human females, but people in the church don't want to talk about it and think you're a crackpot if you bring it up. Do you see what I'm saying? We live in very interesting times. So we at least need to know about these things so that we can give an answer to everyone. We have the truth about these subjects. We need to be ready to give a real biblical answer, not ridicule people for asking about it or just assuming it's a, a nut thing. Your Christian friends probably don't know much about the Nephilim, and that is partly the fault of Bible teachers. I take some of the responsibility, but I at least am trying to rectify our shortcomings here in this series so that we're all up to speed. So let me share, since it's our last study in this, let me share a very brief review, and then I have one more insight, I think, into the days of Noah for us to consider. So we saw in Genesis 6, 1 through 4, that certain sons of God married and mated with the daughters of men. And after all the dust settles of all the arguments about what that might mean, we showed you that the sons of God can really only be a reference to angelic beings. There's no way that that phrase can be used of human beings. It's only used of angelic beings. Their offspring were renowned mighty men of old called the Nephilim. That's the word in Scripture. They were men of great stature. They were, in fact, giants. And we talked about how big they might have been, 10, 12, 15 feet tall by the measures of the Bible. We're talking about Goliath, who we normally say is 9 feet 9 inches tall, but depending on the cubit measure that you use, he could have been a, as much as 12 feet tall. They were also quite dangerous. When Jesus said that the days of Noah were characterized by eating and drinking, he wasn't talking about a, a wedding reception. His audience would have understood that he meant the Nephilim were notorious as insatiable cannibals, eating people and drinking blood. And we further discovered that after the global flood, Nephilim, uh, Nephilim, Nephilim were prominent again in the promised land. The children of Israel refused to go into the land primarily on account of the fact that they said there are giants in the land. Remember they saw giant fruit? They, you know grape uh, clusters that had to be carried on, uh, you know, on a, uh, between two men. And they said, hey, there are giants in the land. We are like grasshoppers in their sight. And so they were there again. Many different groups of giants continued to resist the Israelites until the time of David and Goliath when the last of them was slain by David and his mighty men. This Sunday, we're going to talk about Samson. Samson goes down to Gaza, and the commentators aren't really sure why he goes that deep into Philistine territory. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But what's interesting, Joshua, I think it's chapter 11, tells us that Gaza was a stronghold for the Anakim. 
and the Anakim were a race of giants that still inhabited the land. And so it's at least possible that Samson thought he would take on some giants, see how his supernatural strength would f match up to theirs. Of course, he gets distracted with Delilah and kind of uh, goes off the rails. But it's interesting when you kind of understand the full history of things that are happening in the Promised Land, you think it's a lot more exciting than you might realize. So who knows? Whether he was going there for that or not, there were giants in that area. Here's something to ponder. When Jesus said it will be as in the days of Noah, could he have meant giants would again roam the earth? Could Nephilim appear again in the last days? Well, first of all, there are a lot of anecdotal stories about there being giants on the earth right now, both dead and living. Let me just give you a couple of the most credible, incredible stories. And these can't be verified, uh, but these stories are out there, and um, it, they're very interesting. And then we'll get to what the Bible says. So number one, there's a report that Gilgamesh was retrieved from Babylon. I don't know if you knew this, but in 2003, archaeologists claimed to have found the tomb of Gilgamesh. The Book of Giants, recovered from the Dead Sea Scrolls, mentions Gilgamesh as one of the mighty pre-flood Nephilim who ruled. He was said to have been a third man and two-thirds God. His father, in their language, was called a phantom. Hittite sources place his height at 11 cubits. That would be about 18 feet tall. It's interesting, the life-size statue of Gilgamesh at the Louvre in Paris gives us an idea of his strength and size. He holds a lion by the neck, which looks like a small house cat in comparison. Do you ever scruff your cat? Do you have cats? Do you ever scruff them? Do you screw You know, because they're being bad kitty, bad kitty. So the statue of Gilgamesh, he's doing that essentially with a lion, and it, it looks like a house cat. The mystery deepened when reports surfaced that his remains were removed from Babylon by the U.S. military prior to the outbreak of the war in Iraq. So the, the archaeologists say, hey, we, <coughs> excuse me, we found Gilgamesh. That's real. And then the reports that are hard to verify that the U.S. military went in there and took those remains. There's a more recent incident called the Kandahar Giant. Anybody heard of the Kandahar Giant? Nobody is willing to admit it. You have, because you've talked about it, right, at work? No? I'll quote from World Net Daily. They say, it's one of the most bizarre stories to come out of America's longest war, an allegation United States Special Forces engaged and killed a red-haired giant in Afghanistan. But it's being reported by multiple sources. Several eyewitnesses claim the battle not only took the life of American soldiers, but that the government flew the huge corpse of the attacker back to the United States. It's interesting, the father of one of our soldiers serving over there a few weeks ago, I asked him about this, and he says, oh, yeah, ask any of the soldiers over there, and they say it's true. Now, we can't verify those accounts. I'm not telling you they're true. It's out there, though, and this is the kind of thing people are hearing. They can't help us answer our question about whether or not the Nephilim will make a reappearance. But there is, however, a Bible verse that may help us. It doesn't seem at first to directly mention the Nephilim, but what it does say perhaps points to them or something like that. It's part of the interpretation Daniel gave to Nebuchadnezzar of his dream about a statue. So we're in Daniel 2, and I'm going to read starting in verse 37. We're only looking for one phrase, but I want to give the whole context of this. Daniel 2.37, you, O king, are a king of kings. This is Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar. 
It says, For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and made you ruler over them. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. They will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Here's a quick interpretation of the interpretation by the guys over at Dallas Theological Seminary. The image represented the four Gentile powers that would exercise world dominion ruling over the Jewish people. Nebuchadnezzar, an absolute monarch, Babylon, was the head of gold. Persia was the arms of silver, one arm representing Media and the other Persia. Greece, the third kingdom, was the belly and thighs of bronze. The Roman Empire was the two legs and feet of iron, the legs representing the eastern and western wings of the kingdom. The feet of iron and baked clay depict the revived Roman Empire, the toes representing ten kingdoms. The Lord Jesus is the stone cut out without hands. He will destroy the four kingdoms and rule over the whole earth, his kingdom standing forever. Okay, take a look, a closer look at verse 43. There it says, as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. The human kingdom portrayed in verses 43 is the one immediately preceding the return of Jesus to set up his kingdom on the earth. We refer to it as the revived Roman Empire. So it is, it is the time future to us, the revived Roman Empire uh, during the tribulation just before Jesus comes to rule and reign. So what is interesting in this phrase, they will mingle with the seed of men, he uses a personal pronoun, they, just who or what will mingle with the seed of men in the time of that kingdom. It's an odd phrase. The Bible in basic English renders these words, they will give their daughters to one another as wives. The ESV says, so they will mix with one another in marriage. The ISV says, so they will mix themselves with human offspring. And as you read this and reread it in different verses, and versions rather, it sounds eerily similar to Genesis chapter 6, where there was a, uh, a kind of offspring from fallen angels through mating with human women. One commentator then asked, could this be a hint of a return to the mischief of Genesis 6. It staggers the mind to consider the potential significance of Daniel's passage and its implications. 
And so I'm not saying this is a definite uh, teaching in this way, but it's an odd phrase, something to, worth looking into. You don't expect it. You don't expect in the middle of these kingdoms for the word to say they will give their daughters to one another as wives, unless you uh, are familiar with Jesus saying, yeah, it's going to be like in the days of Noah, and you remember what those days were like. And one of the chief characteristics of them were fallen angels mating with human females. Meanwhile, in the real world, in 2015, which ancient times now, two years ago, Popular Mechanics said this, U.S. adversaries are already working on something America is reluctant to, Enhanced Human Operations, EHO. EHOs entail modifying the body and the brain, creating what some have called super soldiers. At a press conference laying the Defense Department's future research and development strategy on Monday, Deputy Defense Secretary Bob Work warned that America would soon lose its military competitive advantage if it does not pursue technologies employing artificial intelligence. Why would the U.S. military want Gilgamesh or a Kandahar giant? Well, they'd want it for the DNA in order to study how to produce a super soldier. Steve Rogers is right around the corner, except I think he's going to be more like the Red Skull when he comes on the scene. And so the truth is, uh, we live in some really crazy times. It is, in my estimation, as the days of Noah, because of all the messing around with DNA that we're doing. Whether or not the Nephilim will return, I don't know. Uh, but it's something that we need to be aware of and be ready to give an answer for because the average non-Christian knows this terminology. They just know it wrong. They, they've heard of Azazel. They've heard of the Nephilim. Uh, they, they, you know, they've heard of the Watchers. If they saw the movie Noah, they introduced the Watchers. And, and the average non-Christian knows these terms, but they don't know what they mean. And it's not a time for Christians to back away from them. We don't need to go crazy overboard, but we need to be balanced and give an answer to every man of this hope that Jesus Christ is going to return at any moment. And so be careful sharing this stuff. People are going to think you're a little bit off, but don't hold back what is definitely in your Bible. Amen? Amen.